Hello, everyone. Welcome to C-Suite Talks. We speak with industry leaders, introducing you to some of the most interesting people and businesses today. We're focused on women, money, and power, as well as diversity in all areas. I am Beth Pilbing, co-CEO of C-Suite, along with... Hi, I'm Diane Gubin, co-CEO of C-Suite, and this week we are so happy to be speaking with Linda Fowler. Linda is the president and founder of Regenerate, which is located in the greater Washington, D.C. metro area. And Linda is also on the executive committee for the C-Suite DMV area. So tell us about Regenerate and the work you're doing. Thank you so much. It's great to be with all of you. Uh, Regenerate is a national consulting firm, and we focus on communities and organizations, helping them innovate, helping them link to other partners and linking to assets that they may not have considered. We started in 2008, nine timeframe, um, and really uh, focused on the Midwest primarily, older industrial cities, legacy cities that uh, were being hit very hard by the economic tsunami of the auto industry downturn and manufacturing downturn in particular. Um, and so really uh, was able to leverage my time in federal government and my time in manufacturing to be able to connect some of those dots and really help those communities uh, reimagine what uh, it might be like to be Auto 2.0 for Flint and Detroit or Space Coast NASA 2.0 for Central Florida. Wow. So, so when you say assets like that are underutilized, what, what does that mean in, in your world? Yeah, good, great question. Um, so in, if we're talking about a manufacturing community, uh, it might include brownfields, so plants that were shuttered, that sat shuttered for years and maybe even were torn down. So uh, land use and, and reuse of parcels that were once dedicated to large industries, uh, a workforce that has been trained and is highly skilled but might need to retool, reskill um, in some new areas, migrating talent, um, really looking at legacy IP and um, intellectual property and how it could be uh, used. Same thing with technologies, enabling technologies from space make a lot of sense for, for example, clean energy and clean tech clusters. So just really thinking about how to repurpose um, the amazing social, intellectual, physical, financial assets that so many communities uh, may not have really thought about how to link those to new emerging markets. So kind of take us the journey of your career and how you got where you are to yeah, kind of your background. Right. I know. I know. It's very unusual that you have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Well, um, started out in engineering at General Motors in a, in a plant, in an engineering division, um, AC Spark Plug. We make component parts for General Motors. And um, we, at the time, were looking at comp stiff competition, really, from other um, foreign um, component makers, such as Korea and Japan. But we, um, we focused on um, things that I, at the time, really thought were limited to my time as an engineer working for General Motors. But I quickly learned when I moved on um, to other career paths, namely federal government, but especially in the work I'm doing now as an entrepreneur, a lot of the same strategies from manufacturing uh, in terms of quality 
and, you know, prototyping quickly um, and then testing products and then getting those products into market, you know, very similarly, I, I work with communities and I ask them to think about, let's find some quick wins. Can we prototype? Can we pilot? Can we test and learn? Uh, and by doing so, we can determine if we need to make adjustments or if we, you know, need to um, shift gears or if we can, you know, really try to replicate and scale. So, um, but after having a technical career in, at GM, went on to grad school, um, had a couple masters. One is in um, social work, which allowed me to really focus on groups and so really thinking about self-directed work teams and organizational development, uh, and also uh, had a graduate degree in industrial labor relations, which helped me think about how best to focus on interest-based negotiation for, at the time, a lot of uh, labor unions and management um, contracts were being signed. At the time, it was, you know, a lot of shedding of auto jobs and a lot of retraining and repurposing, but, you know, those skills really carried me through to management consulting, and then eventually to federal government, working for the U.S. Department of Commerce, spent some time in other agencies doing details, so really got to know the federal government well and how to navigate that terrain. And what I think is really valuable is linking my private sector experience with my federal government experience and really trying to bring those assets and resources to communities and really helping them understand, you know, where where the money is and how to find the money and, and how to be competitive in terms of um, applying for those federal dollars to help support the community to really solve complex challenges that all communities face at uh, different degrees, but clearly um, talent development and neighborhood development, economic development, these are all things that um, the family of federal agencies looks to support. Well, what a great career for sure. And what meaningful work you're doing. So, Linda, are you national or are there specific geographic areas you work in? Um, yes, I am national. I, I, As I mentioned, I started in the Midwest, um, but I have um, grown to really work across the country from um, San Diego, where I've spent the last decade uh, working with community colleges and family foundations and chambers of commerce, um, you know, to the East Coast. Um, working uh, with Living Cities, which is uh, a group of 19 wealthy financial institutions and foundations. And really, um, their initiative called Living Cities is focused on cities across the country, working with local elected officials, mayors and their team to be able to support them in everything from first-time homeownership and entrepreneurship. And entrepreneurship was a very important pathway, alternative pathway for a lot of workers that were being let go from industries. Um, many of them had side hustles. They realized that they could turn those side hustles into real businesses and thriving businesses. And entrepreneurship became a, a pathway um, outside of traditional employment for a lot of people. And so I've been very focused on supporting women entrepreneurs and um, entrepreneurs of color over the years and, and helping to identify resources for those underrepresented populations. That's fabulous. So what are some of the things that you're working on today at Regenerate? Well, I'm very um, happy to report that um, one of the, one of the organizations that I'm supporting in Indianapolis, Indiana, um, uh, 
It's a community-based organization. It's been there 125 years. Uh, they are a one-stop shop for, for families. And uh, we were successfully, we have attracted a lot of dollars from philanthropy, from private sector, new market tax credits, et cetera. Um, so we're supporting urban farms, uh, you know, access to fresh food, housing, um, retraining. But the most, I think, probably the most impressive thing that the organization has done since I've been with them, which is about five years, is opening up a mental health center in the community. Um, so that mental health center will serve the needs of a lot of folks in that community that have suffered trauma of different types. And so not only is it accessible to them and affordable, um, but it's a model where culturally embracing counselors will be serving um, individuals that look like them. And, it, and it's a model that can be replicated, I think, across the country. I was going to ask you that because I know that over the years politically that a lot of focus for mental health has turned away. So it's good to see that your company is focusing on that and hopefully that'll be utilized as a model for others. A absolutely. So talk to us about data because I know you use a lot of data within uh, the practice that you're doing and certainly data is one of the hottest uh, buzzwords out there. But so how do you actually, um, you know, how do you execute on data? Yeah, great question. Um, well, I really leverage both what I'll call publicly available data, quantitative data, and qualitative data, meaning focus groups, interviews, um, really getting to know individuals in organizations, communities. But a, a great example of how I've used um, data is I was asked by Arthur Blank Family Foundation to support an equity strategy on the west side of Atlanta. So in order to do that, we brought data that indicated where businesses outside of that, there were three neighborhoods on the west side, where were buyers, corporates and other buyers in the metro Atlanta region purchasing? What were they purchasing and who were they purchasing from? Was it local? Was it, you know, regional, state, outside? And of course, in many cities, there are so much, um, there are so many anchors that have the potential, right? Hospitals and universities and city government, et cetera, that have the potential to purchase significant amounts of goods and services. But often they are going outside the area. And that means that businesses that could be providing those goods and services are missing out on that market opportunity. But also, you know, a lot of jobs can be created as a result of, you know, local procurement, local hiring. So, um, so we can identify what industries are growing um, by looking at sales and looking at um, in growth of employees. We can also look at whether certain industries have uh, what I'll call the right level of adjacent markets and supply chains um, in their region. So if you have a biopharma, if you have, you know, in, let's say, North Chicago, where I've done a lot of work with biopharma, you'll have a significant amount, maybe 20 times the national average of biopharma. Well, you would also want to see, because of that, that you would have um, packaging, plastics, resins, et cetera. If you don't have those industries there, then the question is, why not? Right. And, and, and I'll give you another brief example, um, probably the most telling that I've seen in a while. 
in the Detroit area, you had a lot of transportation, right? These, you know, big three. So there were approximately $800 million of transportation electronic parts that were being bought by three large companies, Infineon, Delphi, and Johnson Controls. So 660 million of those parts, which were process controls, were coming from other, coming from outside the region, even though Southeast Michigan had significant supply base to be able to produce those parts. So the question then is bringing together leaders in economic development, right, accelerators and universities and all the folks that have some thing at stake and are touching these businesses. Um, and when we asked what is, you know, why, why are these, why are these three companies purchasing their parts outside of your region? Is it, you know, lack of skilled workforce? Is it some, you know, some other reason? So it turns out most of those parts were not coming from low cost competitor countries like China or India or Mexico. They were coming from Canada, which is not a low cost competitor country. So in fact, right. So in fact, you know, there was a huge opportunity to recapture a lot of that, what was already built in. You didn't have to start from scratch. You didn't have to build a new industry. In fact, the industry was there and um, it just meant that people had to come together in a new way to begin to think about, you know, what are the gaps and how do we close those gaps by working together? Super, super. So what I'm not clear on is who exactly is your client? Is it the city or is it the private sector? Like who, who brings you in? Yeah, another good question. Um, I have had a lot of clients in the past that were cities, but at the same time, many of those cities were on the verge of bankruptcy. And so I was hired by the large funders, meaning the Ford foundations, right? The, um, in the case of Living Cities, it's a, it's a network of funders, right? But these, you know, the Lilly Endowment. So the funders are the ones that are often bringing me in and asking me to work with their grantees or their potential grantees to build capacity, but also to make their money go further because if their money is being supplemented with federal state dollars, then obviously that's a, you know, that's great for them too. Um, but it really varies. I, I must say I work for a lot of nonprofits. I, I work for a lot of foundations and um, local community-based foundations and um, national funders. And then um, I also have done some work for private sector. I'm also currently working for a global corporation, a B Corp, that focuses on everything from reducing ocean plastics in Asia to supporting clean tech products, um, hardware products in New York City. So it really, it really ranges. Um, you know, I, I would say the common themes are helping people think about how to share their visions and how to align their resources to have a greater impact. Um, so it's really looking at that aligned self-interest and, and supporting them and finding more resources to continue to do what they're doing and maybe even maybe even scale it beyond what they thought they could do. So that kind of goes into the, how has your company had influential turning points with these other companies that do business with you? So how have you been able to influence or felt that you've 
you've been really able to change or shift for the greater good, so to speak. Yeah. Um, so like, uh, just as an example, um, I mean, federal agencies have also been my client. I probably should have mentioned them. So NASA was my client, the space agency, for eight years. And when I was working with NASA, they have um, many research and, and space flight centers across the country. And at the time that I began working with them, they were concerned that Congress and, frankly, broader communities outside their centers were not understanding the value proposition of NASA beyond just space mission. And so they asked me to work with them to really help them understand how they could take their expertise and their technologies and apply those to what they call um, terrestrial applications. And it turns out that they really can. Um, you know, people hear stories about, uh, what is it? I forgot Tang, right? Or, or memory foam mattresses, or all these all these discoveries that came out of NASA. But in fact, NASA has so many more um, resources, and especially their scientists and, and technologists are so talented. And so, um, I helped them set up a program where we were able to bring their experts to small and medium sized companies and have them spend maybe anywhere from four to 40 hours with these companies. And as a result of that engagement, these companies were able to solve very complex technical challenges. They were able to add new employees, um, expand their markets. So it was really, I think part of what I was able to do is to show even a federal agency as large and as impressive as NASA that in order to think differently about the way they do business, they could rely on community intermediaries. They could rely on groups inside these regions that could help them identify technical challenges. And so it really became like an e-harmony or a matchmaking between these federal resources and the needs of, of small companies. And that's really, um, that was a turning point for me because it helped me understand that if you can do that for, federal labs like NASA, you know, you could do it for universities. You could probably do it for private, you know, large corporations, right? Because there's, there's a lot of untapped resources. And I think part of it is really helping people understand what's possible. Um, if you imagine if, you know, what would it look like if NASA partnered with small companies in Toledo, Ohio, and so that's what we did. Or C-suite, we'd have more women on the moon. <laughs> that's fabulous. So what do you feel for our executive women out there are the key benefits of forging strategic partnerships? And can you share some of those examples that you facilitated for your clients and the impact they've had? Yeah, because you are definitely the queen of partnerships. Yeah. So, um, well, I always tell my clients that coalitions and partners and partnerships are much more competitive in applying for any kind of funding, right? Most funders want to see collaboration across sectors. And so an example that is recently, uh, Build Back Better was a grant program offered by this administration um, to support a certain number of communities across the country. So in order to compete for those, and these were significant dollar amounts, these were, you know, average about 75 million per, per region. Um, 
And so working for the city of Indianapolis, we were pulling together some of those partners that seemed very unlikely at the time. Um, a large uh, statewide healthcare system, um, community college, a city government, a small nonprofit, and um, and a innovation district, which included a lot of um, private companies uh, and universities that were leveraging their their research facilities. So I think what often happens in those examples is um, the larger companies tend to influence the direction of the partnership, you know, just, just by their sheer um, amount of resources. I mean, their, their budgets are in the billions and, you know, the small profit, small nonprofit might, might, if they're lucky, be, you know, two, three, four, five million. So really helping those partners come together and understand that we're stronger together, but also that the voices of the community needed to be engaged in order for the federal government to feel comfortable in supporting these initiatives. And, and, and that really um, caused, you know, it really was a great leveler. And we had a lot of great conversations around what does it mean to empower community? What does it mean to empower neighborhoods? And so um, I think that was a shift. And part of that shift was the glue money, the money that was being promised to communities that were able to come together and forge partnerships in new different ways. And so I think that's part of what the city of Indianapolis was able to accomplish as a result of that. And they were a winner phase one. So they were given a $500,000 planning grant um, and have been continuing to receive technical assistance. Um, but I think I, I'll just sh- one more, you know, just very brief example. Um, <laughs> sorry. That's okay. No, 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 we love it. <laughs> North Chicago. Um, so there were all these healthcare providers, hospitals, Cook County and others, and Biopharma I mentioned earlier, they were competing uh, and they, you know, healthcare and, you know, is not the only industry that has shortage right now of, of workers, but clearly at this point in time, the hospital systems were experiencing such a supply constraint. It was a very serious concern. And so um, as a result of the Chicago Trust um, convening a group and paying for me to spend 18 months with them, we were able to take um, a supply constraint, which covered many occupations, you know, down to the top three, and we had healthcare education providers working closely with pharmacies and working closely with hospitals and doctors' offices, and really deciding, okay, who's you know who can do the one-year certificate, who can do the two-year, how do we articulate the two-year to the four-year and the four-year to the six-year, and really, these healthcare education providers came together um, and understood that if they didn't work together and they didn't work together in a way that allowed them to be agile and efficient, that um, the employers and frankly, the, the public would lose. Um, so, so that was really um, an example where fierce competitors for talent sat down at a table once a month and um, rolled up their sleeves and really agreed, here's how we need to do this. Here's how we need to take pharmacy techs and turn them into pharmacists and open up, you know, backfill positions. And here's how we need to 
support nursing assistants moving towards nursing um, bachelor's level and RN level. So, Oh, that's fabulous. That's, that's just wonderful. That is fabulous. So as we wrap it up for today, you're on the executive board of C-Suite and we truly appreciate that and all the work that you do. Which we love. <laughs> so what does that mean to you and, and how do you hope to help other women with that role? Yeah, well, I, I love the professional networking um, that C-Suite has um, really provided. And I also think the mentoring informal and formal. Um, I think, you know, the programming that C-Suite offers is truly amazing. And I've recruited several of my friends who are professional women to join different chapters across the country. You know, as a, as a woman who um, really didn't have a lot of female mentors along the way, um, who often found myself as the token female or in a male-dominated industry or just, you know, didn't have the opportunity to be with other women in a way that allowed us to talk about quality of work life and and work-life balance and those things. Um, I feel very passionate about learning from other women, but also trying to give back in terms of, you know, there's things that I have learned along my journey that I can pass on to younger women. Um, I am so happy to do that. Um, I really think that we um, continue to struggle with gender gaps as well um, across, you know, many dimensions. And so I think it's important um, to share as much as possible in terms of strategies for success and also um, leveraging each other's talents and gifts and strengths. That's fabulous. Well, we want to thank you, Linda Fowler, president and founder of Regenerate LLC. Where can people find you? If they want to come out and, and seek your company, how can they find you? Yeah, so uh, easy to remember. Um, email is linda at regenerate.com. Um, you can look at um, my website, which is regenerate.com. And um, look forward to hearing from you if you're, if you're interested in learning more about the business um, or C-suite. Let, let me know. Please feel free to contact me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we want to thank our sponsors, Google, City National Bank, uh, law firm Manette, Uncle Nearest, which is a female-owned spirits company, Interpublic Group, Advertisement and Media, and of course, Amplify Professional Services, Executive Search, and IT Consultants. So thank you for listening today. Hit the subscribe button, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcast. And please join us for our next podcast, and you can find other information on www.cswet.org, csuite.org. And thank you for listening today. And thank you so much, Linda, for everything you do. Thank you. I know.